We use the words justice, grace, and mercy often, but are we actually using them correctly? What is justice? What is grace? What is mercy? What does it mean to be fair? And do we actually want God to be fair? How many times in your life have you said, that's not fair? How many times have you heard a story that angered you or someone you love has been seemingly mistreated and you've talked about how unfair that is? We talk about equality a lot in our society. We want equal. We want fair, 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 fair. But do we actually understand what that word is? Do we understand its definition? As much as we use it, we ought to, but I actually don't think we do. We not only use that word to talk about our human relationships, but many times we use that word when we're talking about God. We say things like, I don't understand why God would let this happen. That's not fair. If we lose our job, suffer a hardship, a loved one dies, we have an illness. We many times shake the fist toward the heavens, toward God, and say, that's not fair. So the question I was asked was, what happens to those who never hear the gospel? What is their fate? And I actually really enjoy answering that question because I'm so confident of the Bible's answer. But I've also learned that to answer that question, I have to use terms such as justice and grace and mercy and fairness. And if we can't adequately define those, then you're not going to understand my answer. And so I'm going to spend this episode talking about justice, grace, and mercy. What comes to your mind when you hear the word justice? I tend to think of a judge, of laws, and people doing the right thing, people not breaking laws, people being morally upright, always doing what is correct. But what about mercy and grace? Our culture often overlaps those, and actually, I'm going to argue they often overlap justice and grace and mercy. And they end up in this same pool together where we're saying them, but we actually are not using them correctly. So to make my point, I'm actually going to give you a couple stories. One is from my own life and one is from uh, R.C. Sproul. He's a, well, he was, he passed away a couple years ago, but he was one of my favorite theologians and Bible teachers. I'll share his story last, but I'll start with mine. So... I have a friend who started babysitting for us. We had to go to Spanish class here in Mexico last year to learn Spanish so that we could, well, do life here. So we were in class Monday through Friday for about four hours. And so um, one of those days we chose to take a date after our class ended. And so instead of getting home at like 1230, like we normally did, we would get home Um, at like 
I think it was four. And when we started doing this date day, I told my friend, hey, on Tuesdays, we're going to start getting home around four. We're going to pay you this much extra. I don't remember what it was, but let's just say, you know, $10 extra. And she was like, okay, $10 extra to stay till four. Well, the first date day we had, we came home at three. We just got done early. The second date day we had, we came home about 3.30. And then the third one was about three. Well, the fourth date day we had, we finally came home at four. And she kind of poked fun at us like, okay, you're here at four, you're late. And I laughed and we, you know, moved on. But later I began to talk to her and I realized she was a little bit offended that we were, quote, late. And I was talking to her and I was like, we're not late. We were right on time. And she said, but you came at 3 and 3.30, you know, the other days. This is the first time you've ever come at 4. And I said, but I told you from the beginning that we would pay you 10 extra dollars to stay till 4. If we get home early we're still paying you the same 10 extra dollars. We have shown you grace. We have given you what you have not deserved. You deserve $10 for staying until four. But if I get back earlier and you're still paid the same $10, that does not mean that I have to get home early every time. And I could tell that that really struck a nerve with her and that she realized that she was being unfair toward me. She thought, well, it's not fair. It's not fair that you're getting home at 4 when all the other times you got home at 3 and 3.30. But actually, 4 o'clock is fair because that's what I said I was going to do. Just because I chose to come earlier and show her grace and still pay her the same amount does not mean I'm obligated to do that every time. Second story. This is R.C. Sproul's story, and I would encourage you to Google it. You can find it pretty easily. He's going to tell it much better than me. I know I'll miss some details, but the gist of the story is that when he was a professor uh, in one of his first years of teaching in his class, he gave a syllabus, and he said, you have three major papers due. Here's the dates that they're due. It was like October 1st, November 1st, December 1st. They better not be late unless you are bedridden and dying or if you've had the death of an immediate family member. Other than that, they better be on my desk on their due date. Well, the first paper rolls around on October 1st or whatever it was. And out of like 250 students, 225 turned in their papers, but 25 of them did not. And they had all kinds of excuses such as, sorry, I didn't realize blah, blah, blah. The time got away from me. I haven't been sleeping well, blah, blah, blah. He said just kind of a plethora of excuses. And I believe these were freshmen in college, so they were a little immature. Um, and so he said, okay, just get it to me in two or three days. And they said, oh, you're amazing. Thank you so much. November 1st rolls around and he gets 200 papers. 50 students did not turn in their papers. Same excuses as last time. I'm sorry, we had, you know, whatever, homecoming, we had this and this, and I'm sorry, and weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? And he just says, it's okay, turn it in in a few days. And they say, oh, thank you so much. And they're like chanting his name, like, 
we love you, prof, you know, for professor. Third paper, the due date rolls around. I think about half of the class did not turn in their paper. So class starts and he begins to call out their names. He says things like, Johnson, do you have your paper today? And the guy says, don't worry about it, professor. We'll turn it in a few days. And everyone giggles. And then he says, zero. And the giggling stopped. Smith, do you have your paper? No. Zero. And he starts going through all the names and all the people that don't have their papers. He starts giving them zeros. Well, what do you think they started saying? That's not fair. Then he said, oh, okay, it's fairness that you want. I'm so sorry. Johnson, did you turn in your paper last time on time? No. All right. Zero for that one, too. And then he starts going back to all of the papers that were not turned in on time from the time before. And he said people were just seething in anger. But then he spent the rest of the class teaching about fairness. He had shown them grace because he had told them, here's when your papers are due. And he had showed grace by allowing them to turn in their papers late with no penalty. But they started doing what humans do, and they started presuming upon his kindness and his grace, and they started demanding it and expecting it every time. Their anger was quickly replaced with shame as they began to realize their mistake. That, you're right, it wasn't fear, but it was grace he had shown them. And grace is never due to us. If they really want fair, then the only thing he ought to do, the only thing he can do, is go back and give zeros for all the late papers before. The expectation was clear and set, and they didn't keep it. Fairness is what is due you, is what you have earned. So according to the Bible, what have we earned from God? What does God owe us? Well, let's look at some verses. You know, when you work 40 hours a week, or however many hours you work, and it comes time for payday, you expect to be paid. If your boss said, mm, sorry, don't have it, you would be just hysterical. You would be upset because that's not fair. You've worked, you've earned this money. It is yours. You've earned your wages. Well, what are our wages from God? What does God owe us? I'm in Romans 6 tonight. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Again, the wages of sin is death. Wow. Okay, so that's what I've earned. That's what I've earned is death, is punishment. And many people want to say, well, gosh, that just sounds so harsh. What, what do you mean? That can't be true. But until we understand the depth of our sin, we will never appreciate the depth of his love and of his mercy and his grace. John Piper said this, and I love it. He said something to the effect of, 
sin is no small thing because it's not against a small sovereign. The severity of the insult of the offense rises with the dignity of the one offended. You know, it's one thing to offend your brother or sister when you're a kid. It's one thing to offend your parents. What about, you know, your employer? What about those in high positions of authority? Now go a million rungs up the ladder to God. Sin is cosmic treason, as Piper says. It is rebellion. And it's not like we're not capable of obeying. We have every bit of capacity to not lie, not steal, not hate. But we don't have the desire. So it's not that we don't have the capacity to be obedient. Because we do. We just don't have the desire to. And sure, maybe we haven't been as bad as that guy over there. But just because we have not been as bad as we could be is not an excuse for us not being as righteous as we should be. If you flip back to Genesis 2, God creates man and woman and puts them in a paradise in a garden called Eden. They have all of the trees with fruit to choose from that they could ever want. They're provided for, and they have intimate fellowship with God. God tells them, look, you can have any of this fruit from any of these trees except for one. It says in Genesis 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. If you're familiar with the rest of the story, it can be found in Genesis 3. Spoiler alert, they eat the fruit of the tree. And eventually they do die. But they don't die on the day that they ate from it. We still see God's care for them. He loves them. And so he clothes them. But he has to kick them out of his presence. Because sin has no place in God's presence. The Bible teaches so many times that God is so holy that he cannot and will not look upon sin. Sin cannot enter into his presence. Adam and Eve earned death. But even in that, God did not give them what they deserved. He should have, if he were fair, allowed them to die, killed them, however you want to put it, the very second that they ate. That would have been fair. That's what they earned. That's what is due them. The expectations that God had for them, the rules were very clear and they broke them. This was not some misunderstanding. And some of us like to say, well, that's Adam and Eve. That's not me. I mean, I didn't eat from the fruit of the tree. Okay, well, have you been righteous enough to get us out of this curse? Have you kept God's commandments? Have you loved God? Have you loved others? Have you ever lied, cheated, stolen? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever hated someone in your heart? Because Jesus says that if you have, then you're a murderer. If you've ever coveted, you're a thief. If you've ever looked at someone with lust, you're guilty of adultery. 
all we have done is continue Adam and Eve's pattern. If you or I were put in the garden, we would have done the same thing because there's something within us that rebels. But the point I'm making is we are not due the breath that we are breathing. We're due death. That's what is due to us. That's what we have earned. So if we want God to be fair, then he should have wiped Adam and Eve out the moment that they sinned and left it at that. Yet here we are. He didn't wipe them out. Here we are. Why are we here? Why does God allow us to keep living and breathing? And much more than that, most of us like to be alive. We love our lives. We love our families and the beautiful mountains around us and going to the beach and enjoying his creation and good food and all the marvelous things that this world has to offer. Why has he given that to us? Because it's, it's not due us. We haven't earned it. Well, that's where grace comes in. Another word for grace would be gift. Grace is unearned or unmerited favor. When someone gives you a gift, they're giving it to you because they want to. Because they want to show you how much they love you and care for you. Not because you've earned it. They're not giving you a paycheck. They're giving you something extra. And so, well, what does the Bible say about grace? Or this gift. What is this gift? Well, I read Romans 6.23. Or actually, I didn't. I read the very beginning of the verse. Well, how does it end? Romans 6.23 in full says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is so kind to us. And why? Romans 2.4 tells us. It says, Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Verse 5 says, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. That is both amazing and terrifying. God is kind to us, not because we're just so good and he's pleased with us and that's what we have earned, but because he is trying to lead us to repentance. And the longer we hear the truth and reject it, there will be a day when his kindness ends. You know, God would be perfectly just and fair if he had wiped me out the first time that I sinned. He would be merciful if he allowed me to continue living in my own way, just let me do what I want and stayed out of my life, didn't give me death, or at least let me just die an old woman in my sleep. But yet he has done so much more than that. Because mercy is not giving someone the bad thing that they deserve. I deserve death. 
I don't know your heart, but I know my own, and I have done some very wicked, dark things. Now, I've never killed anyone or violate anyone, violated anyone. And most of us like to say that to make ourselves feel better. We like to compare ourselves to others. Well, I'm not Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler. Like, I'm not like that. Well, it's not their moral standards that we have to hold up to. And being completely honest, we don't even uphold our own moral standards. How many times have we said, yeah, it's wrong to lie to somebody just to turn around and lie to them? Or we're grumpy and we end up being hateful to someone. Or um, we've judged someone in our heart. We don't even uphold our own moral standards. But the moral standard we have to uphold is God's. He's the creator. He's due honor and glory and respect and reverence and obedience. And we have not done that. We have literally spit in his face by continually turning our back on him. But yet he has not only not wiped us out, he has not only not just allowed us to continue on our own way, but he has given us grace. He has given us his son. Even though God is just, I'm so glad he's not fair. Because he loved us enough and he loves his own glory that he chose to take human flesh, live a perfect, holy life. He never sinned. And he died on the cross. And his righteousness, his goodness, is offered to all of us who would believe and trust in him. And our sin and our ugliness and our rebellion was put on him. And he endured God's wrath over his sin. The Bible's very clear on this point that Jesus absorbed willingly the wrath of God the Father over our sins so that God could be both the just and the justifier. See, God is just. He must punish sin. And so he did. But he did not punish my sin and my body, but his own. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 10, says, He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. The Lord is just, and I'm so grateful for that. And he does execute justice. He does and did punish sin. But he also loves us enough to erase our sin, to erase our judgment and our punishment. And so the offer stands for anyone that would hear it and receive it. And for those who don't, they will get exactly what is fair and what is due them, which is eternal death. And we might not like it, but we cannot say that's not fair. Join me next week as we discuss what is the destiny of those who have never heard the gospel. Now that we've established these terms, it'll be much easier to answer that question. Thank you for listening to my podcast. 
As always, if you have any feedback or questions, you can send me a Facebook message or email me at blamibo.go at hushmail.com. That's B-L-A-M-I-B-O dot G-O at hushmail.com. Thank you and God bless. Thank you.